in three, in two, in one. Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening in today. This is Tim Anderson, the Appraiser's Advocate, and we have a great interview for you today. Our guest today is George Dell, one of the great appraisers, one of the great authors, one of the great instructors there are in real estate appraisal. George, thank you for being with us today. How are you? It's my pleasure always to talk to you. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And you and your family are getting along well as we move through this silliness of COVID-19? It's quiet here, yes, and I don't think I got it yet. Okay, well, I'm glad it's quiet, and I'm glad you don't have it. Now, George, you spend a lot of time teaching and talking about statistical analyses, but yet you're really not terribly enamored of statistics, as most appraisers understand statistics. Help us out here. What What is it you do? What What you advocate is somewhat different. It's not inferential statistics, which is what we had in college and, and what you'll take if you take a stats class online or something like that. Tell us about sure. what it is you do. You know, it's interesting you should <clears throat> ask it on that way because the story kind of goes back, oh, 20, 25 years or so. Uh, I was very involved with the Appraisal Institute at one point. I was on the National Board of Directors, on the Curriculum Committee, the Technology Committee, and I was—I thought I was hot shit. I was going to get uh, change the world. I—I I, I was kind of—I got the reputation as the st statistics guy. That was before there was any classes uh, in our curriculum anywhere on statistics. Before the Appraisal Foundation got involved in requiring some of that, uh, so I was a statistics guy. And then once, once it came in. Uh, so a lot of our education, in fact, I was there in the room when I kind of saw it go sideways, in my opinion. And we started teaching inferential statistics, which really depends on random samples. Um, and after a while, I realized that uh, we were had, we were on the wrong train going the wrong direction. So I sort of became the anti-statistics guy, which is what you're alluding to. And the, the change that parallels that is the change in technology. You know, when appraisal was new, uh, scratching together three or four comps was the main job. And when I became an appraiser, just getting that fourth comp from some broker that called back finally, and you take a deep breath and say, wow, my appraisal's almost done. I got four good comps. Well, today we push a button, and in two-tenths of a second, we got all 40 competitive properties. So that world has changed completely. And that is the essence of uh, data science. Basically, we've gone from inferential statistics, that difficult stuff that I never really understood and never quite got it, that boggled my mind, to using complete data sets. It's how to, data science is about how to, how to see and understand and feel large groups of data. Why is that important? Because the human brain does really well up to four, five, or even six. Once you get to seven or eight, my brain zonks out. And data science and visualization graphs is about understanding the market rather than understanding comps. Okay. Tell us why it's more important to understand the market than it is merely to understand the comps. Well, because theoretically the market is what we're studying. We kind of forget that sometimes. You know, we're studying the relationship between the demand for properties and the supply of properties. And if you might remember back to your economics, microeconomics class, you had that supply line and the demand line and where the two crossed, that was the equilibrium and that's market price. Well, that works well if you got lots of data, but you know, we don't have lots of data. Sometimes we only have two or 20. 
Um, and there is really no equilibrium point, as economists would call it. It's something else, a range or a distribution of probabilities, let's say. I'll, I'll stop there on that. Okay, now let's talk about your alternative. Let's talk about data science. So if you say it's difficult for an appraiser to come up with a whole bunch of sales, and typically it is, unless you're in you know certain really incredibly active large markets. But for the typical appraiser sitting in you know, any town USA, they're going to be lucky to come up with 12 sales uh, in the last year. So you're saying statistics, or more, more specifically, inferential statistics, does not work with just 12 sales. Why is that? Well, you know, you're right there. It, it really doesn't work well with 12. In fact, the, the tale is that you need 25 or 30 more for each uh, data point for each variable that you're trying to estimate. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me let me understand this. You need 30 sales for each variable you're trying to estimate. In other words, if you thought there were five salient differences between properties, you'd have to have 150 sales? Something like that. It wouldn't be 150. It would probably be 60 or 80 or 100. It'd be um, a whole lot more than the appraiser can typically get, though, right? Yes, yes. And these are not hard numbers. These are just kind of rules of thumb that we hear in our classes. So data science overcomes, well, okay, I know what data science is. You know what data science is. I guess we better explain that. But data science overcomes that need for massive amounts of data. Is that correct? Uh, well, no, it's actually the use of the massive amounts of data. Or let me, let me refine that. It's using whatever data is relevant, whatever you got, whether it's two comps, 20 comps, or 2,000 competitive properties. You use that. And so how does the analysis of data via data science differ from the analysis of data via more traditional inferential statistics? Well, the, the first thing we, we teach in my classes, what I teach, I've copyrighted the, the term evidence-based valuation. In other words, using the best data evidence you've got, which is what, what we're talking about here. Uh, basically, if it's two comps that you got, then you use those and you might want to supplement it with something else. If it's 12, you use those 12. If it's 200, you use the 200. You don't stop at three comps or six comps. Statisticians and econometricians have a name for that, for why this is important. It's called the bias-variance trade-off. In other words, if you got 12 sales and you didn't use all of them and you just randomly or with your good judgment picked three, you're going to be biased slightly because you didn't use all 12. But here you've got this competitive market of 12, and let's say for some reason you use 30, just because somebody said you've got to use 30. Well, then you get random variation because you've gone beyond the point where garbage in and garbage out. You're just throwing in more data, which really isn't helping you get to better trueness and sureness of your answer. So there's a, a magic point. You mentioned bias. Now, of course, appraisers are to avoid bias. Uh, that's a USPAP rule. And uh, full disclosure, you and I are both USPAP instructors, and we both have relatively strong opinions about USPAP. But USPAP says avoid bias, but you just said if you got 12 sales and you use three, you're biased. Well, isn't that a USPAP violation? You know, let, let me back up here. I, you, you may have caught me saying many times, the biggest problems with statistics is words. It's using words in two or three different meanings. And this is a case of that. In USPAP, it talks about bias of the person, the human being. It says the appraiser should not be biased. So if you pick three
three comps out of 30 sales that all competed, you're going to get some random bias from those three because they're not truly representing the whole market. And yet you have all 30 available to you. And it's not hard to analyze them because you can, in two tenths of a second, you can have all the data. And what we teach is methods of seeing, feeling, understanding all 30 rather than discarding 27 of them and saying, oh, these, these three are close enough. Okay, now I've, I've taken uh, your classes, and I just so everybody knows, you make this very, very clear, and you make it very understandable about how all 30 sales can help an appraiser find a midpoint, find a value for a property based on the characteristics of the property, based on the uh, characteristics of the comparables as well. Let's talk about, uh, uh, we talked uh, off the air a little while ago, and you have published on your website a couple of articles. One of them is called, Is USPAP Obsolete? And the other one is called, Is Residential Appraisal in Trouble? Well, let's talk about residential appraisal for a few minutes, since most everybody listening to this is going to be a residential appraiser. George, is residential appraisal in trouble? And if so, why? And if it is, what is it we're going to do to fix it? You know, when I'm writing a blog like this, there's two objectives. One is to capture some attention, you know, uh, get somebody to read the darn thing all the way down to the bottom. Uh, and that particular blog, I wrote, there will soon be no need for residential appraisers. And here's, here's again, again, the situation where the meaning of the word is really important. And I'm going to tie this in with the other blog that you referenced about USPAP. Well, the definition of an appraisal, appraisal is evaluation done by an appraiser in an appraisal practice. Well, then you look to the other definition of what is an appraisal. Well, an appraisal is an opinion of values, an opinion of value. 30, 40 years ago, people really depended on somebody knowledgeable in a market for their opinion. Today, what Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, the larger loan originators, they don't really care. They, everybody's got an opinion. <laughs> You've heard that joke. They need the analysis. They need what we learned in the third grade. I don't care if you got the right answer. Please show your work. Do you remember your third grade teacher telling you that? Oh, all too many times. Yes, yeah. but I got the answer right. I don't care. Show your work. So the appraiser says, okay, look, you know, I, I shook my chicken bones and I threw my snake controls and I came up with $350,000. And most of the other houses in the neighborhood are selling for between three hundred and three sixty-five. dollars So isn't my $350,000 market-based? And it sounds like what you're saying is very possibly it may be, but for all the wrong reasons. Is that correct? Well, that's that's one. You know what? One of the thing is, as appraisers, we're actually pretty darn good at, at doing what we do. We're, we're really pretty darn good at figuring out a market from three comps or six comps. Um, the human brain is really good at that, generalizing from two or three or four data points what, what to do and how to handle and stay away from that. You know that striped thing with the big claws that ate my uncle. I heard about the tri the next tribe over. Somebody got eaten by that striped thing with the big claws and the big. I think I better stay away from that striped thing with the claws. Human beings primarily very very good at generalizing and coming to conclusions from to your, your point. We're terrible at understanding data be, be beyond seven or eight data points. 
So data science helps us take the important data points and analyze them properly without bias so that when we say, okay, yeah, that house is worth $350,000, then that's not based on our 30 years experience. That's not based on two out of three quarter tosses. That's based on absolute verified market data. Is that correct? Well, that's that's correct. Uh, and, and the judgment is still needed. We still need people with understanding of markets and understanding what a, an important element of comparison is. We call it a predictor. It's just the type of knowledge is different from what it used to be. What do you mean by the type of knowledge is different than what it used to be? Well, finding that magic point on the, on the bias variance trade-off, getting up to the 12th, when is when is the thirteenth sale not really relevant? It's just adding garbage to my answer. And yet, when I'm on the eleventh data point, that one actually helps me get better trueness and sureness or precision of my my answer. So, data science helps us figure out the eleventh is fine, the twelfth is gold, and the thirteenth is just so much extra puff and stuff, right? Yeah, I wouldn't call it gold. It's 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 a spectrum. It's a it's a transition. But at least we have a sense of knowing. Well, twelve is probably pretty close to the number of data points that I ought to use there. And we have mathematical, um, let's call it statistical ways of uh, helping us identify what's relevant and what's not relevant. Now, let me let me as long as I'm using the word relevant and tie it in again with the USPAP. This is one place where USPAP I think is really right on. Standard two dash four I think talks about. Um, the data we use, it says you must use all relevant data. You must use all relevant sales, which means, it's, did you hear the word all, and did you hear the word relevant? That's that 12, the 12th point. Below 12 is not all the relevant data. Beyond 12, it's not relevant. It's in that way. So in keeping with USPAP, in coming up with all of the relevant data, then uh, data science helps us understand that, that that inflection point at which the data just becomes more data, not necessarily more relevant data. Exactly. That's the point at which uh, data becomes information. Up to 12, the data helps and provides information to help you make a decision or the lender make a decision. Beyond 12, the 13th and the 17th and the 200th, it's just, it's just garbage. It's not relevant. It's just more information. It's not relevant information. Okay. And this is the skill that appraisers need to learn is understanding what's 12, what's 10, and what's 14. Okay. Let's talk about another one of your favorite topics, uh, automated valuation models, AVM. Why don't you explain what's going on there and their strength as well as their weaknesses? Well, AVM is an industry. It's a competing industry. When, when AVMs first became popular, Everybody kind of said, oh, AVM is not really an appraisal. And I, I was saying, wait a minute, it is an appraisal. Uh, and I, I lost that argument, obviously. Uh, and later on, I refined my argument to say, but wait a minute, isn't deciding that a particular approach or algorithm or method is appropriate for a particular property? Somebody is sitting somewhere and saying, this model, this algorithm, this AVM is appropriate for this property. And typically, that's that's the client. So we lost that. But the AVM is an industry. Uh, it's very secretive. Every AVM company has their own black box, their own secret algorithms, and they will never share that with their competitors because they, the competitor might take the good stuff and get rid of the bad stuff. So what advantage to a client does an AVM offer over what we do? 
that's easy. Speed and cost. The loss is typically accuracy. Uh, however, AVMs are really getting better and better. Uh, there's been some studies saying that uh, in the long haul, uh, AVMs are really getting close to the accuracy of appraisers. Appraisers uh, still do better with oddball properties, for lack of a better word. Uh, AVMs, their co low cost and speed uh, wins out in so many cases. Uh, for a lender, if it's a low loan-to-value ratio, uh, why would they want to slow down their loan and, and pay more? Okay, let's look at the other side of that question. What advantages do we offer as appraisers that AVMs can't offer? Clearly, inspecting the property, and it's, it's, it's beyond inspecting the property, even if we visualize it and do Google Earth or whatever on it, drive by it, rely on our prior experience in the neighborhood, uh, we, we tend to be able to identify the problem better. With the AVM, somebody's sitting there saying, this model is appropriate for this property. I remember uh, when I was very new, and I had this appraisal of a house. It was an old house built in the 1890s, and it was on a triangular lot. And I got out there, and I worked really hard and pulled my comps, and I got out there. And it has about 12 parking spaces, and over the front door, it says, Paul Breeder. I really wanted that to be a house, but it wasn't a house. It was a highest and best use issue. An AVM may catch that some of the time or may not. It may or may not catch proximity to the railroad tracks or the great view. Uh, my specialty is views, and uh, AVMs have a terrible time. Two houses right next door to each other, right across the street from each other, could have hundreds of thousands of dollars, and certainly in California, a difference in price just being across the street because of the view. So that's what appraisers do really well with individual features that a property might have. Okay, let's, let's carry this out to its logical conclusion. Are appraisers leveraging as much as they should be the advantages they carry over AVMs, or are we losing that battle to the AVM industry? Actually, there's a third player involved here, and let's for to keep it short, let's call it the GSEs, the government-sponsored uh, agencies, Freddie Mac and and Fannie Mae. You know, they, they understand the advantages of algorithms and how well they work, and and they do tend to use more data, and they're fast and they're cheap. They also understand the need for better better data, and the appraiser is needed there. So they they have an ongoing battle, but but basically. Freddie and Fannie have created models of their own, which, as we always complain, uh, are using our data. I'm an appraiser. This is my data. Uh, and they're going to use it in the future. Well, that's exactly right. Because nobody has really filled this middle ground where AVMs can't really get the data better. And appraisers are, are locked into what we were trained was three comps or five comps without the analytics. So AVMs are good at the analytics, and appraisers are good at gathering data. And so Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have moved forward over the last 10, 15 years in filling that middle ground. And this is stuff that appraisers could be doing, doing that bias-variance thing we've talked about, getting the right amount of data, doing algorithms. Uh, one of the things you might recall, I teach uh, price indexing, uh, which is an incredibly powerful tool for time adjustments. Uh, it enlarges the relevant data that you've got. Basically, you create more comps, uh, for lack of better words. 
getting better results. Do appraisers need to get to the position where they are marrying the advantages that we, the human appraiser, bring to the situation with uh, the deep analytical capacities of an AVM? And if we don't find a way somehow to wed the two, are we going to come out on the short end of that stick? Absolutely. I'm glad you used the word wed the two because that's exactly what the, the answer is. In statistics or econometrics in particular, which is really the, what, what appraisers do, we, we're, we're, we're asset economists. I, I like to call myself an asset economist. We're very, very good at a particular aspect of economics. The dis deciding, what, is it a comp or not a comp? The old appraisal paradigm is, trust me, I'm an appraiser. I know a good comp when I see one. 30 years ago, that was good. Today, it's not. There are mathematical, statistical, econometric algorithms that are pretty darn good at helping make that decision. Is it a comp or not a comp? Uh, when we taught Stats and Graphs 2 in Detroit this last year, one of the things we talked about for about an hour and a half was cluster analysis. It's a tool that appraisers could fairly easily use. It's understandable. It would help decide whether what's 12 and what's 14 and what's what's 11. And that reflects on that bias variance trade-off. Where do you stop? Then there's pre the predictors. When do you use simple regression? When is uh, multiple regression, which is pretty simple, good? When do you use contrasting or group pair comparison? We teach in my class there's really only three types of adjustment. Those that you can be calculated and give you an exact number, wonderful. Most of them are not exact. They, they give you an estimate, and you have to have a sense of how good is that estimate. And then we, we teach also a third type of uh, algorithm for making adjustments, and that's called an uh, a bias. It's biased. It's asymptotic. And I learned this in, in economics classes or econometrics classes. It's, it's an algorithm that brings you close to the true number, but it edges up to it from one side rather than on both sides. It's not a bell curve. It's a kind of flattens out. Well, it's biased, but it's still helpful. A famous statistician once said, all models are wrong. Some are useful. So just understanding when you've got bias, but it's still useful, and then you can put on your appraiser hat and say, you know, I know it's biased, but I think it's only biased by about 10%, so I'm going to call it a number. But it's so much stronger. Uh, for, for time, uh, in, my, in my class, what I've developed is that we call it a similarity index, uh, the, Del, the DSI, the Dell Similarity Index. It, it's a set of variables and algorithms that we use to judge similarity. Is it a comp or not a comp? But we do that mathematically, with some, knowing that there's variability there. But you put that together with the appraiser brain who understands the market and now has gained some judgment around these big, big words that I'm using. I can't use any other words because they're very clearly defined in the science. Now we got something that's far better than an AVM and considerably better than what appraisers have been doing in the past. Now, let's use your reference to, uh, for example, adjustments, the three types of adjustments. Those that are exact, those are real good, those that are a real good estimate, and those that are uh, asymptotic. Let's tr use those to transition over to USPAP. Now, USPAP doesn't require us to prove our adjustments. It merely requires us to support our adjustments. And then you mentioned believable, which goes back to credible. And there are some issues with the word credible. Do you want to discuss those with us? Well, sure. Uh, you know, 
know, credibility is good, and uh, when you when you don't have a way of calculating reliability or sureness, trueness, or how far off the true number you got, that's all you got to work with is uh, how trustworthy is the person. In fact, as as you know, when you're teaching USPAP, what's the definition of uh, credibility? It's worthy of belief. So you and I as appraisers need to strive to be worthy, strive to be believable. Well, the cynical part of me says, wow, so one of the qualifications for being a good appraiser is to be a good used car salesman. That's the cynical part of me. And 20, 30, 40 years ago, that, that was probably worthwhile, especially if you had good ethics. But today we've got the data and we've got the computer power and we've got the ability to visualize the whole market. You know, I really have not used enough, talked enough about the power of visualization. I talked about the striped animal with the, with the, with the sharp claws, the human ability to generalize. We also are very, very good at visualizing, seeing things. We have incredible powers to generalize from seeing things. That's why graphs, that's why my class is called Stats, Graphs, and Data Science. From a standpoint of supporting an adjustment, for example, how does the use of a graph support an adjustment? And is it wise to include a lot of graphs in a report, knowing full well that the client probably doesn't understand them? You know, I've heard of that. Um, one of my students uh, submitted a, a price index scatter graph with a uh, simple regression line on it, and the underwriter came back and said, well, I, I don't have time to analyze your graphs. And of course, I, I tear my hair out of the statement like that. Well, they, they need training too because they're, they're locked into old ways of doing things. The point is, is that that underwriter, that reviewer, doesn't have to analyze the graph. All they need to do is understand the result, so the regression coefficient, whatever the number is. That, that, that's an absolute number, and it, it's, it's powerful. Uh, let's clear up the term uh, regression coefficient. So, in other words, you're looking at a at a, uh, a printout, and there's something on the uh, chart that says bedroom plus twenty seven hundred and fifty seven dollars. What does that mean? Is, is that a regression coefficient? And what 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 does the regression coefficient mean? The easiest way to understand that is compare it to let's say price per square foot of a house. Uh, if it's if if your adjustment is seventy two dollars per square foot, conceptually that's the same as the regression coefficient, except that the regression gives you that number seventy two dollars. Uh, as appraisers, we've gone back to our guidelines or simply thrown a number out there and call it, oh, I think it's about $70. For multiple regression, okay, let me back up. The simple regression, where you've got one predictor variable and then the predicted variable, which usually is value, there's only certain circumstances under which you can use simple regression. When you can, it's highly, highly useful and highly accurate. About 10, 12 years, about 12, 14 years ago, I decided I was going to teach a seven-hour class in multiple regression. I taught it up in Northern California. And I got to tell you, I have never taught the class again. The one result that came out of it for me is you can't teach multiple regression in seven hours. It is a complex thing. How the heck are we going to teach appraisers how to use multiple regression in seven hours? It's, it's a complex topic. However, simple regression, one predictor variable with the right controls, with the right rules, understanding when it works and when it doesn't work is very powerful and very, very useful. 
very useful. George, do you find that you see more appraisers orienting themselves or migrating toward the use of some type of statistical analysis as part of their work? Or do you see appraisers as looking at any type of statistics, any type of statistical analysis as something to avoid because it's too complex and hard to learn? Oh, I see both. <laughs> I have that problem internally. In, in my, I mean, I've spent my life studying statistics and wondering how the heck does this apply? This is too complicated. It never made, so a lot of it never made sense to me. The data science makes sense because it requires the subject matter expertise that an appraiser has of a market. On the other hand, that fear of statistics has kept appraisers from using it properly. But the other, this other group, uh, you know, we're being forced into it by our clients. We're being forced into it by AVMs because people are talking about AVMs doing algorithms and regression. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac are doing, have done it for many years. Sure. This, we're, on the one hand, we're getting pressed to do the statistics. On the other hand, the fear of it uh, continues on. You know, we're human beings. We, we tend to continue doing things in, in old ways, and I, I'm guilty of that myself. Uh, I use R, which, which is a open source analy analytics package that we teach in my class, and I love it. It is so much better when I use it. But, you know, I've been an appraiser using spreadsheets and forms for 30 years, and when I'm in a hurry, I fall back on the spreadsheet, I fall back on the form, even though I know, know darn well that the new analytics software is better. If I just put my nose to that grindstone, I'd do better. Speaking of learning how to use tools, George, do you see the appraisal educational system changing or modifying or modernizing or, or whatever adjective you want to use to describe it to the point where it will begin adopting as part of an appraiser's basic education a background in statistics? Let me answer the end of that question first. When we say statistics, most of us tend to think about that complex inferential stuff that we learned in high school and probably very few of us have ever used. But let me say this, that's hard stuff. Given today's data, when you can get 100% of the data or 95% of the data, all or substantially all the data, you don't need to take random samples and therefore you don't need inferential statistics. The whole world of teaching statistics in our universities around the world have been turned over from this. They're, they're trying to say we're data scientists. We don't need to take random samples because we've got all the data. The end of this story is the statistics we use today is simpler, faster, and easier to understand. And when you tie it in with the graphs, visual part of our human brain gets it. We can understand the market rather than understanding three comps on, on one sheet of paper. George, now, obviously you're an appraiser, and you mentioned earlier a lot of what you had to do was uh, legal work uh, oriented toward the value of, uh, of views, especially in California where you got mountain views and ocean views and desert views, etc. But in addition, you also do a lot of teaching, especially in the areas of data science, uh, statistics, use of graphs, use of charts, etc. Do you want to take a few minutes and tell us about that? opportunity. The, the, path, the real underlying mission of the path that I, I, I try to bring back, I mean, I, I'm, I'm semi-retired, but the path, the path that I teach and I believe is the future of people like us is using the expert knowledge that we already have, combining with the databases we have and computer clout. 
understanding how to use a computer to our advantage rather than buying software from, from third parties. It's about modernizing appraisal. It's really about leveraging our competency, appraiser competency, uh, our market familiarity, uh, our experience and judgment and knowledge of the appraisal process. Those things all, all apply. Uh, it's about how our brains see and understand data. It's about change. Uh, you know, uh, we, we're, we're resistant to change. It's a decision to just say, you know what, uh, if I'm going to stay stay going here, I've got to recognize the changes on us. People don't want an opinion anymore. They want the analytical results. They want risk assessment. Our, our lenders, Fannie, Freddie, they need risk analysis, not an opinion of value two weeks ago. So we need to come to believe that there is an answer that's doable and make a decision to start the program of discovery. That's what my classes are, is how to start a program of discovery. That takes one more thing, and that's a willingness to unlearn some old things. Uh, I was at an appraisal institute national conference three years ago, and the main speaker was there, and he made a big deal out of that. He says, you know, important thing to learning new things is you've got to be willing to unlearn some old things that keep you keep you blocked from learning the new things. As long as we believe that, hey, I'm really good at picking comps, my four comps are great, it's going to prevent us from doing better. I think it was Shakespeare that said, the good is off the enemy of the best. Given what you do for appraisers, and again, I've taken your classes and thoroughly enjoyed them. So what you're doing, George, is through, uh, I don't want to use the word retraining. I don't, I don't think that's the right word. But through simple education, you're saying, here, appraisers, here's a different way to look at you, what you've been doing. What you did was just fine, but it's not valid anymore. Here is what's valid. Am I correct in that assessment? It's building upon what appraisers already know. Appraisers already know the process. They already know the markets. They already know their property type. They already have, have a sense of those things. It's just learning the new tools, learning how to focus on the market rather than three or six comps. Okay. Now, George, what, uh, g give us your website location. What, what is your website? easy. GeorgeDell.com. GeorgeDell.com. Okay. And your email address is George at GeorgeDell.com, is it not? Uh, yes, that, that works. Okay. Actually, I have two websites. GeorgeDell.com is the one that uh, is my weekly free blog, and I do have a paid blog or paid newsletter that comes out at least once a month. But the, the, the blog is free. That's GeorgeDell.com. And then my, my school stuff is ValueMetrics.info. ValueMetrics.com. I apologize. P A L U E M E T R I C S dot info. Valuemetrics.info. Now, because of various stay-at-home orders, you've had to cut back on your classes. Do you have any online classes planned anytime soon? You know, people have been after me to do online stuff for a long time, and I, I, I got to tell you, I, I've been a CDEI, which is Certified Distant Education Instructor, for quite a few years and, and did some of that for the Appraisal Institute. But some of the stuff out there is, is um, really what I've learned from this, getting the CDEI and what I learned earlier in my college career, uh, how good and how powerful as a learning tool online stuff can be. So I'm striving for, for excellence in that area. The stay-at-home orders, you're going to be doing some online stuff. If uh, you've got some live classes, I know, scheduled, if they come to pass, where will those next live classes be? I have, <clears throat> have one class scheduled in St. Louis in July. I have a one class tentatively scheduled. Uh, actually, we have a date set I don't have in front of me for Ohio. I've been requested to go several other places, Texas a couple of times, the New York area, down to the west coast of Florida, I think is someplace I'd like to go. 
Yeah. Oh, yes. And then uh, we do have tentatively scheduled something for Northern California and Oakland, which will be Stats and Graphs 1 and Stats and Graphs 2 back-to-back. That'll be on a Monday through Friday schedule uh, in Oakland. Also tentatively have the same program schedule for Northwest area, well, Seattle probably. That'll be early next year for Stats and Graphs 1 and 2. And really hope to do Stats and Graphs 2 at least a couple of times next year on the East Coast, possibly Texas. People are asking me for it. You know, there's only one of me, and I'm just trying trying to do the best I can. Yeah, and it's uh, uh, the classes are quite information rich. And uh, again, I've taken two of them and thoroughly enjoyed both of them. Uh, George, I appreciate your time. I, I appreciate your explanation. I appreciate your candor. I appreciate your background and the simple fact that you're taking this part of your career where you are semi-retired and dedicating a lot of it to help the appraisal profession and the appraisers in it. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Well, you know, selfishly, I love teaching. I've learned a lot of stuff, and I feel if I don't share, if I, I'm going to die if I don't share this stuff and give it back somewhere. Uh, this is important stuff to a profession. It's been really good to me, and I hope other people can find the joy and satisfaction that I've gotten from taking this path. George, I appreciate it very much. We've been talking with George Dell at georgedell.com about data science. And again, George, I appreciate it. Appreciate your, your service to the profession and to the appraisers. My best to your family. Thank you very much. One of the great educators, one of the great appraisers of our times. It's been an honor to be with you today. We appreciate it very much. I'm Tim Anderson. If I can ever be of help to you, please contact me, Tim Anderson, at theappraisersadvocate.com. It will be an honor to work with you. And again, George, thank you very much. It's an honor to know you. Thank you.